Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd. More of that, please, if you're a tennis fan. So much fantastic action on the court unfolding over these first two days of the week, of course. We've got two WTA events, the high-level event in Doha, the action in Lyon. We've also got the ATP 500 in Rotterdam, the 250 in Buenos Aires, three challenger matches, of course, college tennis to come, ITF action throughout the globe. As always, it's a fun time to be a tennis fan, and of course, we appreciate that all of you choose to come to this mini-break podcast to stay up to date on all of the latest results on tour. I do want to quickly mention I have the opportunity to be on press row this week in both Doha and Lyon for the two WTA events. If you want to hear from some of the players after their matches in their press conferences, go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. Today, I had the chance to speak with Kiki Medenovic, Own Jabour, and Madison Keys following their victories. Of course, if you're looking for the latest stories in the college tennis world, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak joined me on the Great Shot podcast. You can find that on the GSP feed, and of course, you can find all all of these podcasts on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, the reason we are able to do these shows day in, day out, because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. If you need to update any of your equipment, you can find all of the best deals at with our friends at MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, just going to be me steering the ship again today, and I'm just going to focus on all of the pro tennis action because I feel like we've got all of the other 
element of the game covered on our other podcast. I do want to point out David Gertler, our writer at CrackedRackets.com, I suppose a challenger tour expert as much as anyone out there, going to be joining me either later in the week or early next week to reveal our Cracked Rackets February Challenger All-Stars. Of course, that article, a derivative of Colette Lewis's tennis recruiting uh, monthly All-Stars. But of course, we want to highlight those players who are rising up the rankings, hopefully give all of you listeners a sneak preview of who to expect to make those unexpected. And I have quotations around the unexpected because if you follow the Challenger Tour closely, uh, something like Aslan Karatsev making the semifinals while still unexpected, not totally unexpected, but to help keep all of you listeners up to date, David is going to join me to reveal our February All-Stars. He wrote about the January All-Stars back in January at the beginning of February, but I don't think we talked about it on the pod, so we may brush over just the first two months of the ATP Challenger year in general. With that in mind, let's get into the first couple of days of action we've seen unfold in the professional ranks this week, and let's start with the women in Doha. Such a high-quality field this week, and we have a fantastic round of 16 set up. Should be eight truly, uh, not hyperbole here, and I know I get excited about tennis easily, but eight phenomenal matches with eight, uh, you know, 16 consequential players right now in the women's game. We'll get there momentarily. Let's talk about how we got there first. Two days of action to break down. I'm not going to go through each and every match. I do want to break down some of my favorites, though, from uh, the first few days of play. Let's talk about the biggest upset. 2021 Australian Open women's singles finalist Jennifer Brady knocked off 6-1-6-2 by Annette Conteve in her first match, uh, first round match here. Brady was the seventh seed in this event. And look, you look at the live rankings right now, there's not much separating Conteve and Brady in those rankings. You look right now, Jennifer Brady, crazy to think she's got a semifinal and final at a slam under her belt. She's only 13 in the world. Conteve right now, you look at where she's at, the 25-year-old currently number 24 in the world. But of course, all of the players right now in the top will say 30 of the women's game. It's really who's ever playing the best on any given day can beat anyone else unless your name's Naomi Osaka on a hard court. Anyways, uh, Annette Conteve has played fantastic tennis of late, and I've talked about her so much. Uh, I talked about her so much at the back half of last season, and she's always a player to watch for me because I think she just can do a lot of different things on the court. You look for Conteve over her past 52 weeks. She's been uh, really consistent in terms of her performances. A bunch of quarterfinals overall. She's 18-8 and eight in her last 52, made the semifinals in the warm-up event uh, before the Australian Open. And then, you know, for her, it was a third round loss, four and three to an informed Shelby Rogers. Uh, look, for Jennifer Brady, it wasn't Brady's best performance today. Conteve had a ton of success on her own return of serve. You look in the match, Jennifer Brady uh, was 23 of 48 for the match, so just under 50% in terms of total service points won for Conteve. She made 64% of her first serves won, uh, 76% of those first serve points, 22 of 29, was 11 of 16 on her second serve. Didn't face a break point, and I just think Jennifer Brady didn't find her rhythm in the match. I don't think she was quite comfortable at any moment. I mean, obviously, when you have a result like the Grand Slam final, I don't want to say it's a layover, right? Because she's had a week off, but it's only a week off, and it was two really 
four to six weeks of intense quarantine then straight into matches and so you can understand if there's a little wear on Jennifer Brady's body but don't want to take anything away from Annette Conteve she did exactly what you do when you're facing a player with dead legs you make a ton of balls you force them to the outer thirds of the court and you prevent them from finding a rhythm and that's everything Annette Conteve did to pull off the upset advance to the round of 16 Another really fun match between two players who have been very good of late. Veronica Kudermatova, who was so strong, I think, quarterfinals in both Linz and Ostrava at the end of last season. She pushed someone who, in my opinion, has been one of the five best players in women's tennis since the start of last season in Garbine Muguruza. Muguruza, though, too good in the end, knocks off Kudermatova 6-2-7-6 in an hour and 46 minutes. And, you know, Kudermatova did really well to extend this match to a second set breaker. Muguruza actually served for the second set, and Kudermatova took an early lead in the second, but man, is Garbine Muguruza fit right now, and everything is working in her game. Her ability to drive that backhand both down the line, cross-court, short angle, cross-court, the heaviness of her forehand, her ability to elevate that shot when she wants to buy herself time, throw it 20 feet above the net, and get good depth on it to get the point back to neutral. And, you know, she did a really good job of keeping keeping Kudermatova in the center third and not opening up angles for Veronica Kudermatova, who wants to play big and flat down the line, to do just that, go big and flat. And so I thought Muguruza did a great job of keeping Kudermatova at neutral. Now, again, Kudermatova really raised her level in the second set of this match, started incorporating the slice and just finding ways to attack Muguruza, and it's a credit to her form of late. This was a really high-quality match, but it speaks to Garbine Muguruza's level. She made six. 63% of her first serves won 67% of those points, 50% of her second serve points saved six of the eight break points she faced and converted four of the eight chances she had. That was just good enough for her to get the job done, 6-2-7-6, and now barn burner round of 16 match tomorrow. Folks, I think it's 10 a.m. on the East Coast. She's going to take on Arena Sabalenka. I promise you, whomever wins that match and hopefully whomever loses will both be available for press conferences afterwards, and I will be in those press conferences. I'm sure many will be as well, so we'll try and get another from the presser for all of you tomorrow, but that is a match I am so excited for because those are two players who will be competing to win Grand Slam titles, assuming we have more Grand Slams during this 2021 season. Fantastic performance for Muguruza. She looks great. She advances 2-6 and six over Kuder Matova. Your other notable results in Doha, Madison Keys. First tournament of the year for her. Uh, she unfortunately came down with COVID and wasn't able to travel to Australia, but she looked great against clearly a physically weary Belinda Bencic who made a final and played that final, I think, on Sunday and definitely didn't get to practice in Doha. Certainly played the match in Australia time in terms of her body, but don't want to take anything away from Madison Keys. She made 63% of her first serves, won 83.3% of those first serve points, 30 of 36 overall, and I mean... She, it was 3-1 deuce, and Benchich had gotten broken in the 2-1 game and had had a break uh, point chance to get the break back. A big serve from Keys erased that break chance, and then, you know, Benchich hits a big return on the deuce point, and she gets the short ball she's looking for, and, you know, she kind of hesitated and goes tentatively down the line, and Madison Keys executes this fantastic on-the-run forehand pass, and... 
you know, again, that speaks to Keys right now. She was comfortable. She played loose. She played free. Now, you know, Benchic, when she got clean looks at the Keys second serve, she attacked and she held Benchic to eight uh, Keys. Benchic held Keys to eight of twenty-one on second serve points. But Madison Keys did the exact same thing. She did a great job of keeping a wary Benchic on her back foot. Benchic only made fifty-one uh, point uh, was twenty-seven of fifty-two on second uh, on first serves. Excuse me. So she made more, just one more than half of her first serves, and while she was 18 of 27 on those first serve points, she was 7 of 25 on second serve points, and 1 of 5 on break point chances. Madison Keys came up with big serves, big aggressive shots in the biggest moments. That's how she advanced over Belinda Bencic, and finds herself now in the round of 16. It was a really high level from Keys, who you could just tell is so excited to be back on court, but you know, no concern for Belinda Bencic, who in that first set was right there with Keys and then just kind of ran out of steam towards the back end of that match. Understandably, of course, but, you know, for Belinda, uh, you know, Madison Keys just too good today. So she advanced. Your other somewhat upset in this early action, Alina Rabakina continues to struggle. She drops a 7-6-7-6 match to Laura Siegemann. Now, the good news, if you're Alina Rabakina, you won 69% of your first serve points, 34 of 49. You saved five of the eight point, uh, eight, five of the eight break point chances you faced. But, I mean, I... Rabakina has struggled. She hasn't really found her pre-pandemic form, and her game is so predicated on confidence because she plays such an aggressive game style, and you can see that confidence is wavering when she plays the matches. Now, credit to Siegemann, who made a ton of extra balls, who threw slices at Rabakina, kept her in the outer thirds, got her out of her strike zone, and credit to Rabakina, by the way, who clearly was struggling with her rhythm on the serve, yet was able to find ways to maintain her aggression, and that's what you love about her upside, her ability to hit through and any problems she might have on the court. I mean, this was a 6-6 six and six match, right? In terms of total points, Rabakina was at 87, Sigamund was at 94. I'm pretty sure Rabakina had set points in both sets, and so she very easily could have won this match. Unfortunately, Sigamund was too good today, and Sigamund has been great of late as well, so great to see her get another victory. She advances to the round of 16. In terms of your other results, on day one, Every match was straight sets. It was Kerber, uh, Muguruza, Sakari, Azarenka over Kuznetsova, Kanteve, and then Ostapenko over Kiki Burtons in her first match of the year, uh, all advancing in straight sets. On day number two, it was Keys, Jabur, Pavelchenkova, Pagula, who looks great, by the way, against Chiang Wang, and Misaki Doi, all advancing in straight sets as well. So we've yet to see a match go the distance, but you look at these round of 16 battles we have. I'll start uh, from top to bottom of the draw. Svitolina versus Misaki Doi, Laura Siegemann versus Azarenka, Sabalenka, Muguruza, Sakari Keys, Kontave Kerver, Pavlichenkova, Kvitova, Ostapenko, Pagula, and Jabur versus Karolina Pliskova. That promises to be some outstanding tennis, so of course we will keep you all posted on all of the action in Doha. Let's move on now to the other WTA event, and I want to quickly run through these in, uh, matches in Lyon. And again, I had the chance to speak with Kiki Mladenovic following her three-set victory uh, in her first-round match. You look for Mladenovic. Uh, she was able to survive against Buzneresku 5-7-7-5-6-2. She was up 5-2 in that second set before Buzneresku was able to come back. Mladenovic then coasting from there. You look at the stats. is actually fascinating. She had seven of her ten 
one double fault in the first set, but then Mladenovic goes from 52% on the first serve to 55.6% first serve percentage to an 81.5% first serve percentage in the third set. She was 19 of 27 overall on service points in the set, wasn't broken, was two for two on her break point chances, and you know, started to play some of her best tennis as the match went on, as she got more confident. And she's in her home country this week, and talking to her in the press conferences, you could see how much that meant to her. And so just keep an eye on Mladenovic all week long. Of course, the big news coming out of Lyon, the fact that we almost lost both of our top two seeds in the first round. Fiona Farrow, the number two seed, surviving against Magdala Freak, 5-7, uh, 7-5, seven, 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 for Farrow. I mean, the athleticism continues to stand out. Freak made a million balls in this match and was throwing slice at Farrell and just trying to put her in uncomfortable positions on the court. But, you know, Farrell buckled down. She went down love three in that third set and then just started, you know, playing the game with Freak, said, I bet I can outgrind you. I bet my athleticism will allow me to win this match. And that's exactly what happened. And it wasn't the prettiest tennis, but Fiona Farrow got the job done. She advances in straight sets. Unfortunately, number one seed Ekaterina Alexandrova can't say the same as she is knocked off by former ITF World Junior number one rising star in the women's game, Clara Tossin. Tossin, a three and four victory over Alexandrova. She held Alexandrova to 11 of 31 on set second serve points for Tossin. She was uh, overall 45 of 81 on service points. You go overall there. That's obviously uh, a 55.6% win win percentage. She also was 34 of 66 on return points. When you're winning over half of the serve and return points in the match, you're probably winning the match. And she was just able to beat Alexandrova to the spot and, you know, outpace Alexandrova and not allow Alexandrova to sit in the center of the court and be comfortable and hit the line drives and play the sort of style of tennis she wants to play. So it's a credit to Tossin, who, again, performed excellently, uh, excellently, performed extraordinarily well in this match and put forward an excellent match. There we go. Hey, great shot. But, you know, I, I think this performance had more to do with Tossin than Alexandrova. She is a talented youngster, and if you haven't had the chance to watch her, definitely take the chance to do so now. In terms of your other results, uh, you know, the other three-setter we've had so far, Babos knocked off Gracheva in three. We also had Paula Bedosa-Jaber uh, over uh, Tan in three. Vogel, three-set win over Barra. Garcia, the number three seed, a three-set win over Doden. So we almost lost all of our top seeds. We did lose newest New Balance athlete, Jeannie Bouchard. She was a straight-set loss to Sasnovich. We also uh, saw Stojanovic knock off Kirstea Georgie knock off Kuzmova and Hrithminen knock off Kawa as well so that sets up our round of 16 should be a really fun one in Lyon with that in mind let's get to the ATP action we've seen thus far and again we're early in our first couple of events first round of play I think we still have a few matches left in the ATP 500 in Rotterdam but we have had some fun ones unfold thus far three three setters to talk about let's start with my main man, Andy Murray, who gets a much-needed victory over Robin Hassa, 2-6-7-6-6-3. He went down, I believe, three love in that third set before reeling off six straight games. And I feel like this was the first match where Andy Murray was kind of like, you know what, 
I can't keep slicing my backhand. I need to hit through the stroke more. Even if I can't cover the forehand corner the way I used to be able to go from the backhand to the forehand side, just that slice was sitting in the court and just kept being attacked, and he kept being on his back foot, and I thought he did a much better job of staying on his front foot in this match now. You know, Robin Hassa is going to Robin Hassa, and his level certainly dropped off, at, you know, as that third set went along, and he sort of lost confidence in himself, but he made a ton of balls and put a ton of pressure on Murray, kept Murray moving around, didn't let Murray get into a rhythm, which you have to not allow Andy Murray to do, because when Andy Murray is able to stand still in the center of the court and be Andy Murray, he looks just fine. It's when you get him moving that you start to realize this guy's had, what, like 13 different surgeries in the past three years, but you know, it's a credit to Murray, who played high percentage tennis, made 66% of his first serves, won 66% of those points, 59% of his second serve points. Now, those stats all significantly boosted by those last six games in the third set, but he did enough in this match. And look, anyone who's expecting this to be 2012 to 2016 Andy Murray, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But anyone who doesn't thoroughly enjoy watching Andy Murray, the competitor, still out there on court and just seeing his mind trying to problem solve and hit his way through his current, I suppose, skill set, it's fascinating to watch. It's frustrating at times as a longtime Murray fan, but of course, it still just so feels so great to see him back on court. And so thrilled for him that he gets the victory. Uh, again, three-set win for him over Robin Hassa. Another, maddening's not the word, but just baffling is the word I'm looking for. Three-set match we saw today. Ugo Umber served for the match in in sets two and three and had match points in multiple times in this match, but drops a three-setter to Jeremy Chardy, uh, 4-6, 7-6, 7-6. I mean... He only made 55% of his first serves, but he was 51 of 63, 81% on those points. He saved six of the eight break point chances he faced and con- you know, f- and converted three of the nine chances he had, and yet uh, he just got tentative in the biggest moments. And, you know, someone postulated, is this the residual effect after he wasn't able to close the deal against Nick Kyrgios in Australia? I'm not ready to make that stretch because, you know, Umber's loss to Ugo Umber, uh, Umber's loss, excuse me, Ugo Umber's loss, hey, great shot, to Roberto Bautista Agut last week had more to do about Bautista Agut, in my opinion, than it did Umber, who I thought played really well in this match. But, this one was absolutely a head-scratcher. Credit to Shardy, who could have quit on this match at multiple points, who could have just folded it in. He didn't. He kept putting pressure on Umber, daring him to move forward, hit an approach shot, and Umber just got tentative, wasn't able to execute in the biggest moments of this match. It was a maddening one for the young Frenchman, but a fantastic, again, com- uh, competitive performance from Jeremy Shardy to take the victory. You look at the other results we've seen thus far, uh, upsets of the number and seven, eight seeds, but you know, for Felix Ogier Aliasim, he lost six and one to Kei Nishikori. He took an injury timeout after that first set, and it's very easy to say, oh, an injury after the fact, but it was clear in that second set against Nishikori, he wasn't feeling quite right. That being said, great performance from Nishikori to just absorb the pace of FAA, go down the line, play confident, a much-needed win for him. Ditto for Karen Hatchinoff, who knocked off number eight seed Stan Wawrinka. Now, you would probably argue Hatchinoff has had the better results in the past 15 months than Wawrinka, but, 
you know, considering it's indoor tennis, maybe a lean stand in this one. Nevertheless, Wawrinka was able, uh, Hatchinov was able to dictate, make the match physical. He advances in straight sets. Uh, your other three-set result, by the way, was a Fuchovic 7-6-6-7-7-6 victory over Riley Opelka. I think that one kind of speaks for itself. It was a very, very fun match. Opelka, I've said it before, we'll say it a million times. He makes seven-foot tennis fun. And that's not very easy to do. So credit to him. Uh, your other winners thus far in terms of the seeds. Stefano Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, your two of your top four seeds. They took business in straight sets over Gerasimov in Giron in close matches, but straight set matches. Nevertheless, Borna Choric, Alex Dimenauer, Hubie Hercots, Cam Nori, also straight set winners to advance to the round of 32. Now you do, uh, round of 16, excuse me. Now we do still have a few round of 32 matches tomorrow mixed in with our round of 16. Daniil Medvedev, your number one seed, taking on the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, your number three seed, Alex Virev, taking on Sasha Bublik. That should be a fun match, purely from a tennis standpoint. Nothing about Alex Virev's fun anymore. You've also got Tommy Paul versus Lorenzo Sanego and David Goffin taking on Jan Leonard Struve. Ooh, and RBA versus Davidovich Fokina. Happy they gave that extra day off to our two Montpellier finalists in Goffin and Bautista Goot. That should lead to their best tennis, and again, should be some really fun tennis tomorrow, as you've also got Dimonauer, Nishikori, Murray Rublev, Hachinov, Nori, uh, as a round of 16 matches mixed in as well. That's what's going on in Rotterdam, in Buenos Aires. I'm recording this at 7.45 p.m. on the East Coast, and you know that means there are still a few Buenos Aires matches going on, but in terms of thus far, haven't seen a seed knocked off. Your five through eight seeds, Ramos Vinoles, Andahar, Laszlo Jur, and Francis Tiafo, all advancing for Ramos Vinoles last week's finalist, almost found himself in another uh, hole, or did find himself in another hole against a youngster, Holger Rune, this week up a set and a break, 6-2, uh, and I think 2-love on Ramos Vinoles, but he was able to flip the script, win the match in three sets. Your other winner, Serendolo, uh, Francisco Serendolo, I should say, gets revenge on Federico Coria, 4-5 and five victory after Coria knocked him off last week. You also got a big three-set win from Dom Kopfer over top junior, a former top junior in the world, Diego Tarante, the wild card out of Argentina. That was a three-set win for Kopfer over, I believe, the 19-year-old Tarante. Your other winners, Lucas Klein, Jean-Luc Magier, Samit Nagal, and Haomi Munar who was fantastic in the qual- uh, in challengers on the clay at the end of last season, comes through qualifying, and now straight set win over Fasundo Diaz-Acosta. I believe he's now 32-11 and in his last 52 weeks of play. Munar's always been a grinder. The question is, are his weapons big enough to get him into the top 75, particularly when he has to play a season of not entirely clay court events? That question still needs to be flushed out, but he looked good enough today. I thought Tiafo looked particularly good. By the way, Francis Tiafo, a 66% win percentage in his career on clay, only 55% on hard courts. I think the slower surface is better for him. I think the dirt might be the best surface in his uh, throughout his career. Nevertheless, great straight set win for him over Fasundo Bagnus. In terms of the matches we have on the schedule for tomorrow, we're going to get Kasmenovic versus Montiero, Ramos Vinolas, Kopfer, Nagal versus number two seed Christian Guerin, who kicks off his campaign. We also have Laszlo Jur taking on the winner of Del Bonis and Juan Manuel Serendolo, and a bunch of doubles action as well. So it should be a very fun day 
in Buenos Aires. Uh, with that in mind, I want to quickly, and again, just quickly because I haven't had the chance to really catch up on all of it yet, talk about what's gone down at the challenger level because we do have three challengers this week, so I just want to keep you up to date. I know we've had a bunch of upsets across the board. Let's start in Nur Sultan, uh, where our top seed, uh, I believe our top, no, 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 top, excuse me, our number two seed, Emil Rusevori, knocked out four and two by Victor Troisky. Now, David Gertler, who I mentioned earlier, and I did a podcast on Emil Rusevori uh, during this past offseason, and, you know, I'm very high on Rusevori. Considering this match was an indoor hardcourt, I am surprised this is one he lost. I'm going to go back and watch the film, but that is a noticeable result for me. I did get the chance to watch the all-college tennis battle, Mackie McDonald and Braden Schnur. McDonald, last week's Nur Sultan champion, knocks off Schnur in three sets. It was a high-level match, folks. Some great shot-making, fantastic power tennis. If that's what you're into, be sure to go check that one out. In terms of the other results we've seen thus far, top seed Sun Wukwan, a winner at the challenger level a couple of weeks ago, quarterfinalist last week in Singapore. He gets a straight set win over Blaz Rola. Uh, in terms of the other seeds we've seen in play thus far, in Nur Sultan, you look at the results. Your number three seed, Mikhail Kukushkin, knocked out. Six seed, Evgeny Donskoy, knocked out. But five seed, Taro Daniel and Pranesh Gunaswaran have advanced thus far. And again, Mackie McDonald should be seeded given he won last week. Good win for him to kick things off. We'll keep our eye on that action as well as the action in Gran Canaria. Number one seed, Carlos Alcaraz, surviving in three sets in his first round match. You also had wins from the two, three, six, seven, and eight seeds. Your four and five seeds, Danilo Petrovic retiring midway through his first set, and then Lorenzo Giustino knocked out in three sets by, I believe, uh, if he wasn't the winner last week, he certainly came close to winning Enzo Kakaud, uh, a three-set victory for him over the five seed, uh, and then a bunch of fun matches still in action there as we look towards the round of 16. So again, we'll keep our eyes on that. Really fun, Kimmer Copenhans, number eight seed, taking on Steve Diaz, who was a finalist last week. Uh, that should be a fun match again in Spain. Your last challenger coming in St. Petersburg, the number one, three, five, and eight seeds already knocked off. Roman Sefillian, your top seed. A straight set five and four loss to wildcard Evgeny Turinev. Number three seed Rudolf Mulliker knocked off by Viktor Durasovich, six and four. Pavel Katov knocking off Gabishvili, four and two. And then Mirza Basic, 0-4 win over Evgeny Karlovsky. Good win for Roberto Quiroz over Duck He Lee, whose story we have talked about on this podcast before, 2-2. Two and two. Uh, But again, a bunch of fun matches through, scheduled throughout the week at the challenger level. We will be sure to update you on all of the action later on in the week. And again, if you want to hear from some of the players who are playing these matches in Doha or Linz, be sure to go check out our Crack Interviews podcast. We've got From the Presser segments lined up for you listeners all week long. Of course, we've also checked uh, checking in on all the college tennis action on our Great Shot podcast feed. Uh, so be on the lookout for all of that. And if you've missed any of our content, you can find it all at the website, crackrackets.com. I will ask you like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, Crack Interviews, and Inside Out, and the Sideline podcast, of course, as well. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to you guessed it, the super producers, Fligner and Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for 
our wonderful super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.